0: Hello, I'm Wimala and today is Thursday, August the 4th. Uh, My background may be kind of noisy today because I've had to leave my air conditioner on. It's so humid outside. Uh, Kind of typical for this time of year though, so what to do? (laughs) Today, we have finished the Ten Paramitas in our book by Sylvia Borstein. Pay attention for goodness sake. But I'm, I really have loved this book and so I looked at it and I want to read the epilogue to you. Because it's a, it's a good example of what a good storyteller she is and how she relays Uh, concept so well in stories. Okay, let me get my Buddha in the picture. So, let's read this together and then we'll sit. Mm -hmm. I find all kind of bookmarks when I pick things up. Some have little notes on them some, or uh, maybe a little chance. <laughs> so uh, we just finished with Equanimity on Tuesday, and the, one of the things I, I really like about this book is each chapter has a meditation in it that's just in part of the chapter, and then it ends with everyday practice with this with this quality that we're developing. So there are ways to work with the quality, work with the development of the quality. So this is her epilogue, it's called God and the Owls. It was the last morning in the final meditation period of a five day mindfulness retreat for rabbis. And I was thinking to myself as I gave the instructions You were saying this so well, Sylvia. You're really good at this." Just at that moment, there was a huge thunderclap and hail, the kind that when I lived in Kansas used to be described as big as golf balls, began tat-tat-tatting on the skylight. Moments before, the day had been sunny and still, and suddenly the wind was whipping around the building, and the windows were rattling. I had the fleeting thought, I wonder if the storm has something to do with my excessive pride. (laughs) I looked around. I noticed that Jeff and Sheila, my teaching colleagues, had their eyes closed. Most of the other folks did too. The people who had opened their eyes were looking out, watching the storm. The intervals between lightning flashes and thunder crashes got shorter. At one moment, they seemed synchronous, and I thought, the storm is right over us. I wondered if that meant we were completely safe or completely jeopardized. I looked around again. No one had moved. Everyone seemed content. Some people smiled. 20 minutes after it had begun, As abruptly as it had started, the storm stopped and I rang the bell. The first person to speak said, I had been preparing to say, as my final remark, what a fine group of three teachers we've had all this week. Now I remember that we had four. A ripple of pleasure slid through the room as everyone appreciated both the religious sentiment and the fact that it didn't require further explication. Four hours later, I was buckled into my seat on an American Airlines flight from Newburgh, New York, to Chicago, waiting for takeoff. It began to seem like a long time since the plane had taxied from the the gate and moved into the line of departing flights. Finally, the captain's voice on the intercom announced, We're being delayed, folks. You may have noticed those dark clouds that have come up in the last few minutes. What's happening is that cold air from Canada is needing warm, moist air from the Caribbean, and it's producing a north-south band of violent storms that are now halfway between here and Chicago. Those of you who are in the Newburgh area this morning experienced a very similar band of storms as it passed through here earlier. A meteorological explanation, I thought, replacing the theological one. Thirty more minutes passed. <clears throat> Excuse me. The frog is back. Thirty more minutes passed. The captain kept us updated. Maybe we are going soon, and then, maybe not, we're still waiting. I exchanged some pleasantries with my seatmate, and then we both overheard the conversation of the two people sitting in the seats in front of ours. Apparently, they were also traveling alone, strangers to each other. I've been here in Newburgh for a week, a woman's voice said. My mother died. She was old, 87, and she still lived in her own home, the same one I grew up in. All my sisters, I have five of them, came from all over. We had the funeral on Monday, but we needed the whole week to get the house empty and ready to sell. A man's voice responded with words of condolence. No, it's really been fine, the woman continued. It was good for all the sisters to be together. We don't get to see each other often. And this way we went through all my mother's things together, and everyone got to pick what they wanted. I'll tell you what, though, she went on. You see this storm? Well this morning we finished cleaning up the whole house. Everyone had taken what they wanted. We've given the we've given the rest away. The only thing left were the owls. My mother collected owls, God knows why. She just did wooden owls, little pewter owls, china owls. She'd been doing it for years. She had a big collection. None of us wanted them. All week long, I was trying to figure out what to do with them. Finally, this morning, I decided I would give them away and I made a phone call to arrange to have them picked up. That very moment the thunder and lightning started, I knew it was my mother, letting me know she was mad about the owls. The plane taxied back to the gate and I spent the night in a motel in Newburgh. I thought about the way in which the mind takes what's happening and makes a story out of it. It was to teach me or it was to punish me Or even, it was an omen. Of all the explanations offered for the thunderstorm, the cold air meeting warm, moist air seemed the least personal, the least egocentric. It was raining on millions of people impartially. Still, it didn't supply an answer for why the cold front was moving down on that particular day and whether the end, and whether, goodness, and whether the unusual weather for late spring, fierce winds and huge hail, was the coincidence of global warming, itself the consequence of too much burning of fossil fuel, itself the consequence of yada yada yada. The Buddha named Kama, the cause and effect relationship of everything in existence, as one of the imponderables, something that could be intuited as valid, therefore eliciting the response of care and kindness, but not figured out by the rational mind. Ajahn Sumedho uses a wonderful phrase for encouraging the mind to directly experience the moment without elaboration. He says, I say to myself, it's like this. It's just what's happening. (laughs) Stories with hypothetical explanations are sometimes fun. The cosmos arranged to have you miss your plane, just so that you could take this plane and meet me. But still, they're just stories. I recently stayed five five minutes later than I'd meant to at Spirit Rock, talking with someone who'd come with a problem who come with a problem they wanted especially to ask me about. And when I arrived at the Golden Gate Bridge, on my way into San Francisco, I came upon a serious accident that seemed just to have happened. For a moment, I thought, ah, I am being rewarded for the kindness of staying late to help someone. That idea followed the thought that I had missed this accident by only five minutes and five miles. Then I realized that I had also just missed every other accident happening in the whole world by by more minutes, more miles, perhaps even because I was on the other side of the earth. But just because I was where I was and the accident was where it was, it's like this not because of me or in spite of me, and I was glad to have spent the five extra minutes at Spirit Rock and hoped I had been helpful. I imagine that sometime soon, someone will publish an anthology of cartoons of the last quarter century with the image of a guru sitting cross-legged at the math let me start this sentence over again. I imagine that someone soon, sometime soon, someone will publish an anthology of cartoons of the last quarter century, with the image of a guru sitting cross-legged at the mouth of a mountaintop cave, speaking to a spiritual aspirant, puffing and puffing from arduous climb, seated across from him. The captions, variations of life is a river, or maybe life is a river, and often life is a lesson, are responses to the implied question, what is the meaning of life? Perhaps the ultimate answer was the cartoon caption in an April 2001 issue of the New Yorker. If I knew the meaning of life, would I be sitting in a cave in my underpants? what makes the guru on a mountain cartoons what makes the guru on a mountain cartoon so enduringly funny is not particular answers it's the question <laughs> what is the meaning of life does not solve the problem of what would we do a young monk in the buddhist community is said to have complained that his questions about experiences before birth and after death had not been answered. In response, the Buddha is said to have suggested that the monk considered what would happen if a person shot and wounded by a poisoned arrow. What would happen if that person were to spend time reflecting on the cause of the attack, the probable assailant, or the nature of the poison instead of removing the arrow? Even now, 2,500 years later, the Poison Arrow Parable is a potent, succinct introduction to what the Buddha taught. We often teach an arrow story as part of the explanation of the summary the Buddha is said to have given of all his teaching. I've come to teach one thing and one thing only, suffering and the end of suffering. Ending suffering depends on seeing clearly, without bias. It's like this. So the what shall we do question can answer itself. There is a band of violent thunderstorms moving eastward from Chicago. We can stay in Newburgh overnight, overnight. Life is so difficult. How can we be anything but kind? So, that's a beautiful ending to this book, I think. We can see clearly. We can see things clearly. It's not about why, it's about how we respond. So, why don't we, why don't we sit now We can sit and practice metta this morning, and this is one of the bookmarks I just found in the book. It's something I had cut out and glued onto this paper. So we can think of this as a metta practice. This is a way to think. Happy at rest, may all beings be happy at heart. Whatever beings there may be, weak or strong, without exception, long, large, middling, short, subtle, gross, seen and unseen, living near and far away, born or seeking birth. May all beings be happy at heart. Let no one deceive another or, despair, or despise anyone, anywhere, or through anger or resistance, perception, wish for another to suffer. So let's sit with that. So just let your eyes close if you can. Maybe deep breathe, one or two deep breaths in and out, just bring yourself, your body, your thoughts right to the same spot and just relax. And I'd like to read this version of, uh, this is the metta. These are the instructions, actually very close to what's, what's in the uh, Buddhist teachings. Happy at rest, may all beings be happy at heart. Whatever beings there may be, weak or strong, without exception, long large middling short subtle gross seen and unseen living near and far away born or seeking birth may all beings be happy at heart Let no one deceive another or despise anyone anywhere or through anger or resistance perception, wish for another to suffer. So let's just sit in silence. mind becomes distracted just return to your breath over and over Letting go, letting your body relax, stay with your breath. Now if you can, after we send merit, you can just keep practicing if you you have the time and you can just sit and go even deeper into your breath, just letting your thoughts continue to rise and fall away. May everything we do and say and think today be done just not for our own benefits, but for the benefits of all living beings everywhere. We create a refuge for ourselves and we can create a refuge for others. Thank you. And I will hopefully see you tomorrow. Thanks so much for being part of my practice.